Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Pastor, where we look at movies, music, comics, and more from the perspective of faith. What up, my dudes? Welcome to Pop Culture Pastor. It's me, Chris Perry, your self-proclaimed pop culture pastor. Thanks for checking us out today. Make sure you like and subscribe, rate and review us. Hey, thanks for checking out our content. Well, today my guest is Dr. Mason Lee. Uh, Mason is a professor at Abilene Christian University in the Graduate School of Theology. He has a PhD in Practical Theology and Homiletics at Princeton Theological Seminary. And at ECU, he is the Director of Contextual Education and an Assistant Professor of Practical Theology. So, Mason, thanks for joining us today. Chris, thanks for having me. You said doctor first. I, I always think someone's talking about somebody else. I'm still not used to that. So, I, mos- I mostly do that so people will know, oh, he's got important people on this podcast. I should actually listen to <laughs> what they have to say. Um, and it is, you know, it is kind of funny to me because, you know, that, that was a, that was a mouthful of all the things that you're doing and, and I'll let you explain some of that in just a second. Uh, but we actually know each other because we were both doing our masters of divinity or MDiv yeah. at ACU at the same time, uh, yeah. about, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. And we were in ago. mentor groups together. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah, we, we started in the same place, or we were at the same place at one point, and uh, you now have a PhD, and I have a podcast, so we're basically at the same <laughs> level of, of No, uh, what, I, what I tell people is, so I did the, I did the MDiv at ACU, and then I, I had to, because I was a glutton for punishment, I did another master's um, at a different school, and then did a master's in Boston, was in, did the PhD program. Uh, and I still can't get my dogs or my daughter to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can assure you, a a podcast is probably much more valuable than. than yeah. Well, I I don't. I mean, I can actually go and look at the numbers to see how many are listening, <laughs> technically. But yeah, are they listening or are they, are they really hearing? You know, if you, if they have ears to hear, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so yeah, I invited Mason on today for our topic. We're going to be talking about content creation in the church. But before we get to that, uh, just share a little bit about your history with the church. Uh, I assume that if you're a professor of, of theology, that church is something that matters to you. So just give us, give our listeners a quick little background to your spiritual life. Yeah, so I uh, uh, am originally from Southeast Texas. Uh, I, the town I give, I tell people is uh, Galveston. Uh, the town, actual town is much smaller, High Island, Texas. It's a town of about 200 or 300 folks. Um, grew up in church. Um, we, we sort of bounced around quite a bit. I, uh, uh, it was primarily a community church for most of my childhood that we grew up in. Um, although I was baptized in a Methodist church, uh, which is kind of a fun experience because they, they didn't do immersion, right? They did, they don't, they didn't dunk people. Mm-hmm. Um, but my parents wanted me dunked. Uh, so that was <laughs> a unique sort of conversation to be a part of as a kid. Uh, but grew up in church. Uh, what I tell people is I don't know that you uh, have to become a theologian to uh, be a Christian, but I probably did. <laughs> um, and so was uh, have sort of always grown up in church and have been interested by it in some way. Um, small churches. Uh, so I've always been really intrigued by uh, small church life. I'm a product of small churches. It seems like I've always, uh, the, the church in my wife and I and our daughter attend now um, is, you know, 200, 250 people. And that's easily the biggest church we've ever been a part of. Um, so I have just always been really intrigued by that, um, but never really thought ministry was something I wanted. Well, well I didn't know what that looked like, right? Mm-hmm. To think of myself as called to ministry. Um, you know, in fact, I think it was actually our mentor group uh, when we were in school together. I, I sort of it finally bubbled up and I asked the question, can you volunteer for ministry if you're not called? <laughs> um, and uh, was, was, was wrestling with that and decided, yeah, you sort of can. Uh, and it was kind of in all of that process kind of discerned, uh, you know, the, the sort of track I'm on now of, uh, you know, doing an academic route 
a more academic route and sort of seeing that as a way of that then allows me opportunities to serve kind of work with smaller churches right so it, it becomes kind of a bivocational uh, ministry kind of thing which um, is sort of how it's worked out uh, which is is kind of incredible I, I have to be careful when I say this because I'm in so many ways I'm, I'm getting to do what I wanted to do <laughs> uh, and how many right I mean that's an incredibly privileged thing to get right that most people don't get to say that so um, but yeah, I've, I've always been fascinated by church because of, well, one, my own experiences there, right? I mean, these are the communities that shaped and formed me profoundly and in ways I still don't know yet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're also just kind of weird. I don't know like you ever just think about it, right? I mean, like <laughs> churches are just, they're kind of weird. Um, and, as, yes, and, as a pastor for many years, yeah, I can confirm. I, I won't make you. Yeah, I won't make you divulge any anything <laughs> no specific, right? I don't want to get you in yeah, trouble, but yeah. but churches are just they're they're also right. They're they're the place where God dwells, but they're also filled with people, mm. um, and that's a that's a unique combination of things, right? That can make for some interesting events and circumstances, and so I've just been always interested in sort of thinking about it, learning about it, and, and trying to help it in whatever way I can. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And yeah, yeah. Church is made up of people coming from all different places and different thoughts and interests and, and these sort of things. And so this is kind of jumping topics a little bit. But the other thing I like to usually start with, since this is pop culture pastor, we've done the pastor side. Uh, what pop culture things uh, were you, what were, what were some of your first interests, some of your earliest memories? Uh, what was formative for you uh, in, in the pop culture landscape? So I think like most people my age, uh, the Power Rangers factored large into my childhood. Okay. I was a Red yeah. Ranger. Uh, I Not not the new stuff, not the Power Rangers ninjas, or right, there have been 130 different versions now. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the the OG original, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Red Ranger. Jason is the T-Rex. Yep. I was not a Green Ranger. I was not a Tommy fan okay. at all. Yeah, um, divisive. Uh, you know, you, uh, yeah, but, you know, Zordon, uh you know, Rita, I mean, all of the, I was a hardcore Power Rangers fan mm-hmm. as a kid. Nice. Yep. And some things just keep going, right? They keep churning out that <laughs> Power Ranger content. Uh, yeah. And so that actually gets to what we're talking about today, right? So we're talking about the idea of content creators and specifically how, uh, how that relates to the idea of the church. Is the church just a content creator? So when we say content creator, you know, I think first just of things like YouTube, uh, Netflix, social media people. Uh, I, I didn't want to go down this rabbit hole, but it's like you could probably do some <laughs> research on what's the difference in a content creator and an influencer. Um, I'm sure there are lots of pieces out there, but I feel dumber just saying that. Um, but any sort of like <laughs> franchise, right, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. they have they talk about their content or podcasts, right? Uh, I'm creating, we are creating content as we speak and you listeners are consuming this content. So, you know, again, studios have always done this, you know, there's, there's always been music that's been put out. What do you see in in this kind of modern phenomenon talking about content creation uh, in, in recent years? How is that maybe a shift in what these creators are, are doing or the way they think about what they're producing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, um, to me, this is, this is, this is fascinating um, because I do, I do think it is, so, so let me back up my own sort of personal history. I, I, I was always fairly cynical and jaded to the idea that one generation was substantively different from generations prior. I, I was never one, you know, I just, I was always one who would sort of go back and, you know, and if you look at five or six sort of generations and you look at the trend lines, uh, which you can do, uh, everyone followed kind of the trend line, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, adolescence looks a certain way, young adulthood looks a certain way, everyone makes kind of a similar move in late adulthood, you know, when they have, I mean, it's, so I, I was always really skeptical about the chain, about the the sort of notion that, that things are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not skeptical to that claim now. Mm. Um, as it relates to the current times that we're in, this does seem different. And I think part of what makes it different is exactly what you're naming. Um, I think that the sort of emphasis on content creation, uh, the emphasis on co- that, that's a signal of a, 
of a much more profound shift that has happened in our culture and our world and our society and the way we understand ourselves and our our sort of location in the world and what that means. Um, and, and one of those things, I'll try not to get too far in the weeds, but one of those things <laughs> is, is uh, to me, one of the, right. Cause like, like you said, I mean, people have been making movies for a long time, mm-hmm. right. And, and there have been uh, people who have been writing books for a long time. There, there's something though about the speed okay. um, and the, the, um, the, the speed at which a content is uh, that we are, ex- we'll see how many times we use the word content in this conversation. <laughs> make everyone sick um, of it. Yeah. Um, that the speed at which it is assumed these things will be created and distributed, and, and then the way that then actually bears itself out. Um, like I, I was reading something the other day, like if you just even look at Marvel, right, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, if you look at those early, you know, if you look at the first 10 years, you know, the first seven to 10 years of that, which, right, which was their kind of first big push, and you tracked the, the kind of when things are coming out, uh, you know, like when Iron Man won or whatever, um, there's, there, there's kind of a space. And then the, but what I was reading said they've sort of already done that. Like, so the first 10 years, there was so much content, you know, so many movies and things over this 10 year period. And it's like, they're already there in like three years. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the rate of content production. Yeah. You just got to keep pumping um, it out. It right? is. It, so it, now, it is yeah, with, with Marvel, for example, like, yeah, we got this movie. And then as soon as you finish watching that movie, go home and watch this series on Disney Plus. And as soon as that series wraps up, there's going to be another movie. So it's like they have to. They're always trying to maintain your attention, right? We can't let, yeah. if, if you're not watching Marvel, you should be thinking about Marvel, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. and I think it was, you know, it was Quentin, Quentin Tarantino, right? It was the director. I think when he started, he said something like, I'm going to make nine movies and then I'm going to retire. And it's like, they, they sort of just come out, I'm, I'm not a huge Quentin Tarantino fan, right? So, mm-hmm. But anyway, he, um, I, I'm going to make, could, could we imagine Marvel saying that, right? We're going to make nine movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, I, like, no, like in what universe would that be conceivable? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's something about the speed of this is. Yeah. And it is, like, not only yeah. like it, it goes fast, but like it keeps ramping up. Right. Yes. And it's like, how, how much fast, how long can you keep trying to get faster? Right. Eventually you're just going to run into a brick wall, but you know, and to me, another part of this is like, what's the purpose, right? Like we're talking about art, you know, as, as silly as some of the pop culture things we're, we discuss on here are. And, uh, but, you know, the purpose of art is, you know, to help people grow, to feel, to express, you know, human nature and desires. But content, well, it is kind of just like we got to keep people engaged. We got to grow our audience. We got to grow our platform if you're thinking like social media uh, you know, it's to make money, right? Like, you know, if it's yeah. YouTube or podcast, like, well, I got to have stuff out so that I can get ad revenue and then I can increase my influence, which like, well, but no real necessary thing about like, well, what are you going to use that influence for? Well, I don't know. I just need to have it. And the, uh, what I would say, the, the artist's awareness of and participation in the content racket, Mm. Right. And you I mean, you, you see this sort of very explicitly, right, as you see film directors sort of negotiate. Right. So Martin Scorsese, right. And his famous thing about content. Right. Um, and the Russo brothers who who explicitly call the films they produce content. Mm-hmm. Right. These sort of two. So the idea. Right. I mean, people have been reselling artwork for a long time. Sure. Right. And um, but the idea that the artist uh, themselves, himself or herself is is aware and is actually now leveraging that mm. uh, in their production of their art um you're right the producing the art to be consumable rather than to be beautiful or to be moving or experience inducing that's that that seems to me i mean i'll leave it to the art historian to tell me that but that seems different right yeah. i mean that yeah Right. Yeah, the, the artists, artists have awareness. always needed to sell their things to make money, and there's always been some some trying to find balance there and, and have you sold yeah. out and these sort of things. But yeah, like you said, there is a shift in just the, the consumer nature of it. 
So, you know, speaking of, you know, pop culture people, Bo Burnham, I think, is someone uh, who is who's tried to have a voice in this conversation. Uh, if you go back a few episodes ago, I talked about uh, his special inside and how that is doing some similar things to Ecclesiastes. Right, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> it's maybe part of this or the, what does he say, the end of making books. Uh, there's no end to it. I meant to look up that verse. Um, but anyway... So one of the things that he talks about, I mean, the very first song in this special, the way it opens is him singing a song called Content, right? Here comes the content, Daddy made you your favorite, open wide. And he's someone who had taken actually years off from producing anything. He had stopped performing uh, live. And well, I guess he had moved to, you know, producing films and, and other con- content like that. But he's just very aware, you know, he's someone who got his start on YouTube. And so he's very aware of this weird relationship and uh, you know that idea of like it ha- it keeps yeah. going faster and faster and it, we can't keep doing this. I think that's something he's talked about and it, it creates this weird relationship between the the creator and the audience. Um, there's the idea of the the parasocial relationship where content uh, consumers feel like they know the person who's producing you know, the music or the books or the the comedy, but they don't, right? We're hearing a lot of things that they're saying, or even like on social media, right? You, this is a problem that causes some mental health issues of, well, you think you know what other people's lives are like, and their life is so great, and my life is not. But well, what you, what somebody posts on Instagram is a carefully curated view of their life. Yeah. So even in our actual relationships with people we do know, there's becoming this idea of we're content, we're, we're creating content to be consumed by other people. We're creating a version of ourselves, but also again, with people that you don't have a connection with, there's kind of this fake connection that's based on what content they produce. Yeah. And, you know, as I think about that in terms of ministry, well, uh, isn't this sort of what ministers have always been doing too, right? Like mm-hmm. we plan sermons, we write lessons, uh, to deliver that content, and you know, people like you train us so that we can <laughs> deliver it well. <laughs> you know, preachers have been putting their their stuff on tapes for for decades. They've been writing books for, well, that goes back to, I mean, the Bible, right? So again, what what's the big shift here uh, in in terms of you know our ministers moving towards this idea of content creation? How is how is that different? Yeah, this is a great question, right? Because I th- it hits so many different dynamics and issues, right? I th- and I think one of those, what it, what it shows us is um, churches are not generally isolated communities from the rest of the world, but that in fact, the, the larger sort of cultural forces that are impacting the culture at large mm-hmm. um, the church is not immune from those, right? And I think this is a great example where you can see that influence, right? Uh, I'll answer your question, but let me go back because one of the other things that occurred to me of kind of what's different now, um, right? That question you asked before is, um, I think this also makes an issue um, around art, right? The, the, the artist question, right? Is um, it, it also, I do also think there's a way in which this move towards content and the speed at which we anticipate it. Um, and we can actually then talk about this, this because this relates to ministry as well, is um, it actually makes things less artistic, hmm. um, right? We've, I think you've, you've talked about the rise of the algorithm, right? <laughs> yes. and, and the way that there are these, these films and movies that it seems like, you know, it took a hundred action movies, right? And some algorithm wrote, wrote the movie right and that's what's what's produced um and so what what you see in this sort of approach is it's actually not you know a film as art or uh, you know paintings that or whatever whatever medium as art it actually is uh let's just crank it out and so it's actually a lot of repetition right mm-hmm. I and mean, what's the joke every marvel movie is essentially the same right it's yeah. the same it's the same three act structure. It's the same general story. Well, um, this is so Ross Douthat is a columnist for the New York Times, has a great book on uh, what he calls decadence. 
and this is one of the features of decadence that he talks about is how there's it's actually no new it's just a recycling and a rinse repeat of of what's done before and that that's also new i think where that hits i think so back to your earlier question for ministry um there is a sense in which you could argue that yeah ministers are content creators right because they write sermons they teach classes um but i do think this is a place where you see the understanding of content what it is what it's for and uh, what you just talked about right the uh, the impersonalization is that a word am i allowed to yeah, make up sure. a word on your on your podcast Sounds good. the yeah <laughs> the the impersonalization of the the separation of that content from the relationship that used to ground it mm. right um there that there used to be particularly in ministry right ideally uh, there was a relationship between the minister and the people around them for whom that minister was preaching, teaching, pastoring, shepherding. And you're seeing in some ways the, the sort of content forces in the wider culture are now sort of they're, they're, they're operative within the church, which then can lead to a vision that uh, of content creation absent the relationships. Yeah. So I want us to talk some about like what, what led to that shift, right? If it is different now, it didn't just happen, you know, in the last five yeah. or 10 years once YouTube came on the scene, right? This is something bigger, the shift to a, a secular age. And so one of the reasons I invited you to be on here today is I know you've done a lot of work uh, with Charles Taylor and his idea of, of secularity. So if you want to, you know, just give a, a kind of brief synopsis of that, you know, again, yeah. for a, this pop culture podcast, um, <laughs> but this, this is yeah. going to come in, you know, in, in several, I've got another episode planned to talk about some of these same ideas. Uh, but yeah, what, what do we mean by this being a, a secular age? How does Charles Taylor talk about that? And then we'll, we'll get into how some other Christian authors have used that, that idea. Yeah, this is the part where I try to do this without people hitting skip on the rest of the episode, right? <laughs> Um, so a very simple way to say it is that Charles Taylor, so he's a Canadian philosopher, um, a brilliant guy, by the way. Um, and he, he's, he asked the question, what starts him on all of this is the question, why was it 500, the case five, that 500 years ago, it would have been inconceivable to be an atheist, mm. but now that seems the default. Um, what happened? Um, and that's really the question that gets Charles Taylor kind of off and running on literally thousands and thousands of pages of, <laughs> right, of, of looking at culture, looking at the world, looking at the forces and dynamics that are at work. But that, that's sort of the basic premise, which leads Taylor to his notion of a secular age, uh, which, as he talks about it, is, is essentially the idea that we live in a time now where belief in God is no longer doubt free. Uh, it is always, so uh, Charles Taylor's term is, it's always contested. Um, so the notion, uh, the way I often frame this is uh, the notion you have to know what you believe and why you believe it. Um, well, that's a, that's, that's right, which I grew up in church hearing, right? You have to know why you believe, yeah. you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. Well, yeah, why be would ready that to give be a defense? Yeah. No, exactly. It, because things are contested, mm -hmm. right? Because we live in a world now where issues of faith and belief are not assumed, they're contested. And so that's, it's now a thing that's up for debate like everything else. And, and belief, faith, um, is always shaded in one way or another by some kind of doubt uh, because of the world we live in. So that's how Taylor talks about a secular age. Yeah, and so there's there's all these things that are competing, right? Like, yeah. So one of the ideas he talks about is the the Nova effect, right? That um, anything can can get your devotion or your faith yeah. or give you a good the good life, right? It, it used to, like you said, 500 years ago. Yeah. Well, it was it was God. It was the church, right? And there was these clearly yeah. defined structures of how that was mediated, and you, you know, we, yeah, we don't have yeah. time to break down all the history, but yeah, a lot of that is not there, and so there's just so many options, and so it's kind of yeah. like, well, if you're going to say Christianity is the best option, it's competing with some of these other things, right? 
Yeah, and it's it's even sort of in some ways wider than Christianity itself, although mm-hmm. I think that's the way we, we often think about it, but it, it's really sort of any religious belief. Right, right. Uh, right, so as, as Taylor is sort of, he, as he sort of sketches this, as he tries to answer his question, right, of how did this happen, uh, he sort of talks about, you know, 500 years ago, there was a particular view of the world uh, as what he calls hierarchical, right? So there are, you know, people on earth, uh, you know, angels above that, there's heaven above us, uh, you know, hell below us. And it's, and everything, you kind of imagine this ladder of creation, right? And things exist in different places and rung at rungs on the ladder. Um, and Taylor says, one of the things that we, we see over this kind of 500 years is that ladder actually shrinks and it actually goes away. Uh, and so we, we move into what Taylor calls the kind of, a kind of imminent frame where there there's no longer any belief in the transcendent right there's no longer there's no longer anything uh, reality is what you can see feel touch hold smell taste that kind of thing and when that happens then it has all these implications then for how we understand what it means to be human uh, how we what you know what's the best way to live what does it mean to live a good life uh, what does it mean to uh, be in relationship with other people um, I mean, our, our sort of orientation or way of being in the world gets fundamentally changed. Yeah. And so obviously that's going to have an effect for, for church and in particular how we do ministry. Uh, so one uh, current author who's done a lot of work with this, this thinking about the secular age is Andrew Root. Uh, he's a professor um, and he wrote a book a few years ago, 2019. Uh, it was my favorite book that year called The Pastor in a Secular Age. And one of the things he does there is kind of trace out this historical map, looking at you know different pastors uh, over the decades, over the centuries, and see you know, how things, how slowly this shift has happened to get to the point that we're at now. And so this idea that yeah, you're all having, everybody's having to kind of create their own uh, sense of self, their own sense of what's going to give them life, give them meaning, uh, and have to define why they believe in in these things. And so he comes to uh, kind of the modern age, our age, and he focuses on um, Rick Warren and his Saddleback Church as a model. He's not, you know, the only uh, person behind this this way of thinking, but you know, he's just using him as as an example uh, for someone who did kind of uh, represent a shift in the church towards yeah. you know the church creating resources, or as we're talking mm-hmm. about today, creating content. So uh, a quote here from his book, uh, Root says, Warren did not speak against individualized human flourishing or the age of authenticity. I might need to explain those, yeah. those terms, but yeah. right, the idea that individually you find what's going to help you flourish and so that you can be authentic. Instead, he doubled down and wagered that Jesus was just the individualized spirituality that could actually fulfill its promise. Jesus was another third option amongst the thousands of others. Uh, so what do you think he's saying there about you know, what what ministry is meant to do and where Jesus, where Christianity fits in that, or just religion in general, right? Because again, this isn't just yeah. limited to, to Christianity. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to think about Rick Warren. So so again, if I'm thinking about Charles Taylor, right, who who root who Andrew Root is sort of using, Charles Taylor notes that one of the kind of consequences of this imminent frame, right, where there's there's no longer you know, a God sort of out there somewhere. It's not, there's no sort of transcendent reality. The only thing that's real is kind of what's, what's here with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the impl- one of the implications from that is then, well, what does it mean to live a good life? Um, now, if there's no, right, if there's no, uh, uh, if there's no thing outside of yourself to sort of call you to a certain way of life, right? There's no, you know, God's not going to call you to something because there is no God, right? That's the, that's the implication. Mm-hmm. Oh, how do you know what to do, right? Because you still have to wake up in the morning and go do something. And so that's where this notion, uh, it was in the quote you, you read, right, about uh, authenticity. So then what it means to live a good life is to live out who you, authentic, who you are deep down inside, right? So this question, who am I uh, and how do I determine who I am um, becomes a kind of the standard way of, of thinking about uh about how we live life in, in the world, which then creates a huge challenge for people in ministry, right? 
um, because there's no longer, uh, there are no longer these things that exist outside of me that can tell me what to do with my life, right? What I do with my life has to be something I discover in my, you know, inside myself, you know, who I am is something I construct. Well, well then it raises questions, right? Because how do you then convince someone like that to come to your church? Uh, right. Because we all want, we all need people to come to church, right? So we can pay bills. So we can keep lights on. Mm-hmm. So we can pay. Right. So how do you get people in your door? Well, you have to offer them something they want. Well, what does that mean to offer them someone that something they want? Well, you have to offer them the things that you think will help them become who they are deep down inside. Right. Right. And so we, so a church or ministry becomes not, you know, you, you come to church because it's the place where God dwells, right? Which is what it used to be, right? I mean, the ministers were people who handled sacred things, but it's actually now, well, you come to church because we've got some resources uh, that are going to help you in your life. And, and yeah, you know, we talk about this being secular and, and I'm sure that a lot of people in churches say, well, no, I'm not secular. I'm spiritual. I still believe yeah. in God, but we're, yeah, we're seeing that this is it's kind of more below the surface than, yeah. than that way we, we think about it. And just the way, like, to think about the language that people use, right? Why do people leave churches? Well, I'm just not being filled there, yeah. right? Like, that's, that's, that's part of this phenomenon of they're looking for this individualized personal fulfillment. And we're saying, right, again, what, what Root is arguing Warren did, and most churches now, uh, is saying, well, Jesus is the one that will give that to you. Right. Yeah. But he's just Jesus is just kind of competing in this marketplace of what's going to give give meaning and not really yeah, the, that uh, different from others. The way I yeah, the way I think about this and talk about it with my students, because this sort of indicts me. Right. So I'll pick on myself here is um, so I have a four year old uh, daughter. And whenever my wife and I, when we moved to Abilene for my job, uh, it was the first time in our lives where we got to church shop. Right. Which. Which the fact in itself that I, I'll use that term and everyone that listens to your podcast will know what I mean, tells you something right about what the church is in the marketplace. Yes, you're shopping, um, right? You're in the yeah, marketplace. But, yeah, so we got the church, church shop. And one of the driving issues for us was, well, do they have a children's program? Uh, because we want our daughter to, well, so, so what are we asking, right? We're asking, does this church offer the resources that will appeal to us? Mm-hmm. Um, Right. I grew up in a church without a children's program. Uh, you know who were my friends? The older people. Right. So, right. I mean, it was an intergenerational church. Um, but the so the idea that, well, it's got to have this and that because you have to speak individually to every individual person. Right. That's a different kind of phenomenon. Right. That that we're, we're encountering, which which Rick Warren then embodies in the way he designs and organizes that the Saddleback Church. Yeah, and and so this is not just like we're bashing on him. Um, you know, we're, we're we'll talk in a minute about like the strengths and the weaknesses. Um, but right now, we're really just seeing that this is a shift, right, towards the church offers resources for you, yeah. or the church offers content to help you grow. Yeah. And so uh, I think we see that in in lots of ways. And the pandemic, I think, especially revealed some of this, showed in a deeper way. The pandemic was very revelatory, apocalyptic, you might say. Uh, for a lot of things, but one of the things it did reveal is that, yeah, the church is already kind of in this model of of creating content. Yeah, uh, I was I was talking with uh, Miles Wernz. He's also a professor there at, at ACU, one of your colleagues, and uh, he wrote a book recently called "From Isolation to Community" uh, that just came out this year. And so he's talking, you know, he's reflecting some on the pandemic, and uh, he told a story in our in our class about uh, he was talking to a pastor at a, a big Baptist church. And this pastor was actually excited about the, the quarantine that was happening with the pandemic because that would give him an opportunity to produce more content. Right? He wasn't yeah. going to be busy you know, with the yeah. day-to-day like interacting with, with people in his church anymore. He could just be at home or be in his office and produce content. I don't know if this was yeah. books or, or you know, YouTube videos. Um, and I, I know that Dr. Wernz was a little skeptical about that, that maybe that is not a good sign. But you know, one of the things he talks about in that book is, you know, a lot of, yeah, the pandemic was hard on churches, but in many ways, the shift wasn't too hard because, well, we can just keep creating the content, right? We use Zoom like you and I are doing right now. 
or use YouTube, and we can just put it out there for people to enjoy. And a lot of people said, hey, it's really nice to get to just watch this and while I can wear my pajamas at home yeah. with my coffee. And and as a minister, there was part of me that was like, man, doing church on Sunday morning is a lot easier without all the people around. <laughs> you just come yeah. in, sing the songs, do the sermon, and, and you're done. Um, and so one of the things that, that Warren's argues is that this is showing the difference between a crowd and a community, right? Mm. And we always talk about yeah. church as community. You mentioned being part of a community church. That's that's language that's very popular now. Yeah. But what, one of the things that he argues is that, no, these are just crowds because uh, a crowd, it doesn't matter if there's other people there, right? It's yeah. just people that happen to be in the same place consuming the same content, and very often that seems to be what happens in a church on Sunday morning. That yeah. there may just there may not be much community. It's just just a crowd. And so a, a quote that he had in this book that I think is pretty relevant to our conversation. He says, uh, by adapting adopting either the individual or the crowd model borrowed from the world around it, churches may attempt to overcome decline. Right. So churches are declining, yeah. and. So we're going to borrow some ways of thinking, dealing with that from the world. Um, and he says we, we can weather the loss of cultural support for church by turning the church into a content creator, supplying believers with information for their consumption. Right. So I, I think this is the same phenomenon that we're that uh, Root and Taylor are talking yeah. about. Absolutely. Uh, we see the decline. We see that people aren't as interested and in that they're finding lots of other things that can give them meaning and, and give them life. And so we're going to, as a church, we're going to create content that will give you information to consume. Uh, so, yeah, where do you see that? Um, how do you think the pandemic showed some of this in particular? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much there, right? I mean, I th- so this is one of the, the pernicious aspects of this, I think, is, right, is that it's, uh, so it's the same kind of cultural features Right. So you mentioned in some ways, a lot of the springs from realities of decline, right? a church decline and the anxiety over that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Um, and, and one of the the really sort of insidious, pernicious things is right. The, the, the forces that lead that have in some ways sort of jump started the decline. Are the same forces that then the church in trying to sort of overcome that decline feel like they have right that we have to play by those rules too mm-hmm. but by playing by those those same rules you actually sort of undercut your reason for existing in the first place right and so you 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 find your churches fine and ministers that i talk with find themselves in this really hard double bind where there are these forces that 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 are sort of at work and so they're trying to respond to them, but they're responding to them by the rules of the game set by those forces, which then actually sort of undercut them, right? And so it's like the, the better they actually do in playing by those rules, the deeper a hole they find themselves in, mm-hmm. um, right? So the, the more and more and more they, they sort of buy into the content, right? That, well, what we're going to do, the way we're going to reverse our decline is we're going to develop the best content and we're going to produce these, you know, these slick packages of things. And we're going to, we're going to do that is you actually make yourself and your actual sort of life as a community less and less necessary. And so people lean into the, the sort of race, the content arms race. Right. (laughs) And then, and then, uh, but then find that people have not, are not sticking around. Right. So the example of this is we, uh, right. So a church buys into, sorry. So a church who's struggling with decline says, well, they buy into the myth of content and programs. And so what we need is this program and that's going to attract, um, or what we need to do is produce this content and that's going to attract. And, and then, so they, they go about doing that. But then what they find is that people are only connected to the community as long as the content or the program is there. Um, or not even that. It's not even as long as it's there. It's, it, it's only as long as they find the program meaningful mm-hmm. or the content meaningful, um, which uh, I don't, Chris, you'll have to tell me how, I, I, you know, on a metric that's subjective, right? How do you, 
to me, that's the challenge, right? Is if you're going to, if you're going to base your existence off of that, I mean, that you're sort of opening yourself up to a more subjective thing. And it's, it's, so that's part of it. I'll try not to ramble here. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into a ramble, but so that's part of it. The other part of it is, is the, the, the temptation that is right to, for ministers and churches to think of primarily what they offer as being content. One of the temptations besides just it actually is not going to solve the challenge of decline. Right. So mm-hmm. besides that, besides, besides the fact that it doesn't work, um, <laughs> The other thing that it, it tempts us into is, is a notion that Christian faith is first something is first content to be consumed rather than a way of life that I live with others in the presence of, of a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, mm. right? Um, that you can extract Christian faith from a way of life and a community. Um, of people who are the visible body of Christ in the world. Um, and that's a, right. So if I put my theologian hat on, right, that's, that's the real danger of this is uh, what is it, you know, what's being communicated about Christian faith. Yeah. It's just content, right. In that yeah. quote again, it's supplying believers with information for their consumption. And, you know, obviously we're, we're not seeing this as the healthiest approach to doing church, on the other hand, you know, it is good. I mean, we want good information. Um, you know, we want what we do. I want what I do yeah. as, as a minister and what I'm sure what you do. You know, I know you've preached a lot. Uh, you want that to be done well and give people yeah. things to think about. Um, we want people to grow. But yeah, if it's just for consumption. And like you said, it's, it, can be, it can be very subjective of, oh, well, this just doesn't work for me anymore. And it may be the same thing. They're just kind of bored with it. Just like, yeah, Marvel keeps making all these same movies, but yeah. and they're still good, but I'm just kind of bored because I've seen it, right? And so what do you do? You go to the next church that's going to have different content. And, and this is where things are, right? I mean, it's always more complicated than an either or, right? And this mm-hmm. is where it becomes sure. a mixed bag, right? It's because, you know, for all my lamenting the way in which this sort of move, right? There are bad about it, and we could, we could pile on, I think. Mm-hmm. But there's also... Yeah, it did. Uh, when churches did this, there were some churches who maybe didn't have this kind of presence before. Now they're doing it. And there was that elderly member who could now participate in some mode. Yeah, right. Or live were, stream. Right. During, yeah. During yeah the like there are, it, it does. So it does open up accessibility. My I suppose my concern would be. And where I would want to push ministers is to say um, accessibility is not an end. Accessibility is a means. Um, and you, you talked about this at the beginning of our conversation, right? That, that there's a content is not an end in itself. Content is a means to something, right? Yeah. And so I would want to, you know, that's kind of where I would want to want to push. Um, so you talked about the, the pandemic. And one of the things that sort of struck me in the pandemic was, uh, you know, like everyone else, we were uh, we were locked down and all of that. We were in uh, New Jersey when the, when everything started. And so we, we couldn't even go to public parks. Right. So we're 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 locked down. Uh, you know what I wanted from my minister. Right. With a, uh, what I, I would say what I needed. Right. I'll use lines of I what I what I needed was not a slickly produced worship service. I really could have used a phone call from my minister, though. Uh, and so it makes me wonder, right, we, we sort of see the pandemic as fundamentally changing, right? We, the argument we want to make is that the pandemic changed things, um, but maybe not. Maybe the pandemic opened up an opportunity and we didn't take it, right? You know, what if, what if instead of a church, if, what if instead of I as a minister, instead of producing, working to produce more content in that gap, uh, what if instead of saying, I'm going to produce this much content in this space. I'm going to instead said, I'm going to call seven people in my church a day and talk to them and see how they're doing and ask them how I can pray for them. Or, you know, or I work sometimes with church leaders with elderships and leaderships and uh, right. So our, our instinct in, so the pandemic happens 
And our instinct is to shift to say, well, no, well, this, this means we've got to produce content and we got to produce it well. Well, well, maybe not. Maybe there was another way um, that in some ways we were blind to because we had already sort of drunk this Kool-Aid of content production. Mm-hmm. right? And, and like you like you said, like we've said a few times, what's the purpose of the content? Right. Because, yeah. yeah, we believe that, you know, putting out content. Uh, you know, things that will help people think deeper or grow in their, in their spiritual lives uh, is good, but that should be to grow together, right? Yeah. That it can start conversations. And again, this can happen even if you're in person in a church building that people are just kind of sitting there, they're coming to, you know, check the box off and say, I heard yeah. a sermon, but it's not really forming them and it's not actually creating a connection. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like all of this revealed what was already there, but yeah, we're all we're all kind of dealing with it, right? We live in this yeah. world. You know, the thing that I did right before we started recording was post my daily video on Facebook. Yeah, uh, I, this is something I did started during the pandemic. It's like, well, I gotta I gotta do something to show that I'm working, so I've got to produce yeah. some content. But you know, it was a way. The the thing that the reason I keep doing it is not just because you know I want to have a bigger platform, even though I definitely am going to put a link to them in the show notes <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> it's because I'll get comments from people that, you know, they may be in my church and a lot are, are not. And to see like, hey, this is, I hadn't thought about this. And, and you know, there can be a conversation that comes yeah. out of it. So where is the content, you know, to keep using that word, leading? Yeah. Uh, and, and, is, and is that content, is it, is the content that we produce, is it driving us towards others? Or is it actually allowing me to drift further away from others? And what direction is the content moving me? Yeah, yeah, because it can allow you to keep your distance. Yeah, it right. can it can make it easier for me to not actually have to know people and talk to people, right? Right. And so, right. where is the where is my where's the content that I'm consuming? Where is it pushing me? Yeah, and so I think as we're getting kind of towards the end of this conversation, we want to think about where is this all going? What is the future of this content-focused model? I've talked a lot about, you know, church life, and maybe those that are not in ministry won't uh, be as interested in this. I hope I hope it's give you something to think about. But in pop culture, right, it's, it's the same issue. Yeah. And I think it, it's having some of the same effects, even though, you know, art, pop culture is mm-hmm. not trying to do the same things as ministry. But uh, where where do you think this is going uh, when it comes to pop culture? Is it only negative? Is are are there ways that this could be a positive somehow, or, or ways that maybe just we as an audience need to reevaluate the, the way we consume what we yeah. what we enjoy? It's a great question. The, so the short answer is I don't know, but that's never stopped anyone from making future <laughs> yeah. predictions before, right? So I'll not I'll not break that trend. Um, so I I do think there are again, right, this is always a mixed bag. Um, it is always a complex mixture of positives and negatives, right? So I would say one of the positives is uh, increased representation, right? That with so much content being produced, right, if it's if Marvel's not just making one movie a year, but they're making, uh, you know, seven movies and then five TV shows, um, it opens the possibility for more stories to be told, right. Mm. And for, for greater representation to be displayed. Right. So that, uh, and I, I think that's a demonstrable fact, right. That representation is, is increasing as content levels of content creation increase. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, on that point, things like YouTube or yes. just the internet in general with music, right. You don't yeah. have to go through these big structures that, you know, the, uh, gatekeepers, anyone can put something out there and it can yeah. can blow up. And I mean, there's so much junk on YouTube and uh, my kids have gotten into watching <laughs> weird stuff on there, which I don't love. But, you know, yeah, it's just you can you can have a voice now. And, yeah. you know, as much as a wasteland as things like Twitter and Facebook are, it does allow it actually has been a place of connection. Yeah. Uh, at and times. That's, yeah. That's an and that's an interesting phenomena of this is as much as that there are actually instances in which this has formed communities, mm-hmm. uh, right? So you, so you mentioned like something like YouTube or Facebook, and we can talk about, you know, Facebook, you know, the, the studies about uh, are the people who use Facebook most, are they actually the most isolated, which I think, but, but there is a way in which um, this increased diversity and representation then does open up points of contact kind of across shared humanity, 
right, in a way that can form community where community would not have been possible before, right? Mm-hmm. Because you might not have known, uh, hey, there are people like me, or there there are people who who are wondering these questions or are wrestling with this. Yeah, and um, and that's that's what I like about pop culture and kind of why I do this is that art, music, movies, comic books, right? They can be a place for us to connect over those stories, right? That's why we all love recommending things because we're saying this spoke to me and I think it'll speak to you. And I think that we will be able to have a conversation in a new way because, because of this, right? So yes, it's, it starts with that content, but it's because it points to something deeper about human nature. And I think that's, what we need to keep in mind as we think about, you know, the how much content we consume, right? Like, how often does our entertainment feel like work? Right? Yeah. I, I have a list on my phone of like, here's all the shows that we want to get to and watch. Yeah. And it just feels exhausting sometimes, which I think that's part of the, right, the speed. There's just more and more all the time. But what's going to create connection? Maybe it's just yeah. the person you're watching with, but maybe you do find some other online community and it, it actually is community that, that leads to some depth. Uh, so yeah. that's where I think there can be positives, but we're not going to expect the studios and, and everything to, yeah. to stop this. We've got to really think about how we consume um, be, and use it for those good purposes. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, to think about, so what you're talking about, the kind of intentional choices, those don't just happen, right? Those, on, those only happen in the presence, in the presence of intentional practices. And so I think this is where I, I am sort of finding myself encouraging ministers and people in churches is to think about, um, you know, what are the practices to put in place uh, that you can then begin to sort of change your relationship to this content um, so that you're not fundamentally just a sort of a cookie monster, right? Always devouring con- right? Devouring whatever the next content that comes up as soon as it is, as soon as it comes up but that you actually are able to create some distance and some, right? I mean, those, those require practices. Um, this is where I would give a plug for spiritual disciplines, right? Um, fasting can be not just about food, right? Fasting <laughs> can be fasting from other things, right? Because, because of what fasting is intended to do, right? So. Yeah, so the, our, the content we consume is not shaping us, but that we are, um, yeah. or at least we're intentional about how we're being formed. Uh, I think my next podcast is going to be about how formative this can be in a theology of of pop culture. So people can check that in a couple of weeks. And so we're also thinking about the future of this content focused model and and the effect on the church. And like we said, there's, uh, we want to be aware of some of these negative things and and, uh, directions that trajectories it could take us um, and think about what is the best model, alternative model of ministry. I think you've touched on this some, right? That it's not just I, as a pastor, put out this sermon or this video or this podcast and you consume it uh, independent of each other. I may not even know who's listening, but that ministry is inherently personal and that we don't lose that uh, and and we use whatever content we produce as as pastors or as uh, professors, as theologians, that we use that to facilitate uh, personal relationships and growth. And, and obviously you make a theological case for that, right? I mean, I think this is exactly right, right? That I think, I think moving beyond the sort of content craze in ministry is going to require thinking, thinking relationally. Um, and, and that ministry happens, let's see, there's another way in which, so the, the, the content craze in ministry, right, is actually, it's a depersonalization, and it's actually a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a removing ministry from all the nitty gritty that makes ministry what it is, mm. uh, because, right, it's impersonal, it's general, it's abstract, it deals at the level of issues, uh, and so then the question is how to recover, um, how to recover the personal and the and the nitty gritty, as actually that's the place where ministry happens. Because and again this is so this is the theology where I'm I'm the practical theologian so this is where it's going to come in, right because that's actually the place where God works. Mm. Um, God does not work in abstraction. God God works 
within the nitty gritty of the particular, right? God doesn't save. God saves Israel from Egypt. Um, God does not love. Uh, God becomes human in the person of Jesus Christ and then dies and rises again. Um, right. So, I mean, all of these things where we're sort of tempted to think in terms of abstraction so that we can produce the content, but it's actually, we ministry occurs in the particular and in the nitty gritty, uh, because that's actually the place where God is, is ministering and working. And so then it's a matter about, it's a matter of thinking about how does my ministry reflect the God who is ministering in these, in the, in the particular nitty gritty details of everyday life, um, right? That how does my ministry partner with God's ministry in those places? Yeah, right. There's no ministry in general. It's always ministry to and with people. Yeah, ministry does not float in the air at 30,000 feet, right? Yeah. Ministry, ministry occurs between people and, mm-hmm. and, in, and, in, and in specific places. Yeah. And, and again, like I've, I feel that tension, you know, I'm a bit introverted. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I feel that like, I just want to put that out there and keep my distance, but that's not what I'm called to. Cause like you said, that's not who we believe God is. We believe God is one who comes near and, and that we encounter God through prayer and through spiritual disciplines, through, uh, uh, uh through worship, right. Through yeah. the Lord's supper, through baptism, all these things that are tangible things that happen with people. And, yeah. and so, you know, whatever we're doing as ministers, whatever we're participating in as as church members, that should be our, our overall overall focus. That yeah. we're developing true community in in view of the communal triune God. Yeah. And you know, content is only a means to an end, right? I mean, let's just talk about Jesus. Was Jesus the content creator? Well, yes, he he told parables and he preached sermons, but that was always with people and to yeah. create connection, not just to, to make them smarter. It, it yeah. was always aimed towards that. Jesus was fully committed to being in person, being in community. And whatever he'd said or taught or did, I think was always oriented towards that. And that should be yeah. our hope when we're relating to anyone else, whether you're in ministry or not. Yeah. And uh, it's right. One of the, I, what I would say is I would say one of the lies or myths that content um, wants us to believe is that we can, right? I said this at the beginning of the conversation, right? That one of the things the sort of emphasis on content does is it, is it, is it shapes how we understand ourselves in the world and who we are and how we understand what, what life is and what we're, what we're here for and all those sorts of things. And if, the, the, the shift to content, if we're not careful, it, it can lead us to believe the myth that I can discover who I am apart from communities and relationships. Mm. Um, that if I, I'll, I'll figure out who I am if I just consume enough content, right? Or if I just consume the right content, I'll figure out who I am. Uh, but the truth about who we are is not something we'll, we can learn absent a community of people who help us see the truth about ourselves, right? And a God who, uh, who loves us and who helps us to know better who we are, right? Um, and so that, that's, right, is how do you minister then in a world of content creation in a way that helps people understand that the truth about themselves is not something they'll learn on their own, but it's only something you can see as you're living it out in relationship with God and with others. Yeah, yeah. There's no me without us. Right? Yeah. So whatever content there is that you're enjoying, you know, this is part of the purpose of this show is to think about content that, that can be formative, uh, no matter, you know, what medium it is or how silly it may seem at times. But if it aimed, it's aimed towards that purpose, then it can be a benefit. And I hope we can help yeah. you continue to pull those things out uh, as, as you continue to, to listen to what we talk about here. Uh, so, well, thanks, Mason. I appreciate th- this conversation. I hope it wasn't too heady for <laughs> a lot of people out there. Sure. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that we uh, always do at the end of the show is our pop culture consolations and desolations. Uh, okay. You talked about spiritual disciplines, and we were part of a mentor group that did this. Uh, so you know this comes from Ignatius of Loyola and his practice of uh, self-examination, the examine prayer, where you look at, uh, in his prayer, you're looking at the movement of the Spirit in your life to see what is 
giving life, what is uh, giving you invitations to love, and and what is pulling you away from that where you turn away from love. And we use this just to give some <laughs> recommendations or or not. Uh, so what what's something uh, that's been a pop culture consolation for you recently? Something uh, you would recommend? Something I would recommend. Well, I'm st- I'll, I'll say this. I recommend it because I'm still chewing on it. Uh, it's the 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 television series, The Old Man, uh, on FX. I had Jeff Bridges. I was a, I'm a big Jeff Bridges, John Lithgow fan. Uh, it's a really interesting story based on a book. I've got to go read the book now after I've watched the first seven uh, episodes of the show. Uh, but yeah, I would say that that was the first TV show in a while that had hooked me. So that I would say The Old Man. All right. Yeah, I've heard heard good things about that. Um, question about morality and and those sort of things. Those are always yeah. always entertaining. My uh, pop culture consolation for this week would be um, a comic series, a graphic novel that I just finished called uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, it's written by Tom King, who is one of my favorite comic authors right now, illustrated by uh, Bill Quist Evely. And it's just like eight issues, so it's kind of this self-contained story. And the basic plot is... Um, Supergirl meets up with this other young girl whose father is killed by this kind of bad guy, and they're trying to track him down across, you know, across lots of different planets. And so it's a very simple plot, but it's dealing with issues of of grief and PTSD and revenge. It does something that a, a lot of kind of current comics do that I like, where it's taking these often very kind of silly or simple comic book origin stories and thinking about what, what effect would that actually have on a person, right? So Supergirl is a character that she grew up on the planet Krypton. Um, she didn't just get sent off like a baby, like Superman. And so she remembers life before her entire world was destroyed and, and what happened when all that went down. And so you're kind of seeing how she deals with that and this theme of, you know, all the pain in the world, um, it's so big and we're so small. And how do you react in the face of that? So I just finished that yesterday and, and would definitely recommend uh, that Supergirl series by Tom King. Uh, Do you have any pop culture desolations this week? Recently? Pop culture desolations. Yeah. Well, I finally, uh, so I have a four-year-old, so I don't get to see Marvel movies as often or as quickly as I can, as I used to, but I finally got to see Dr. The new Dr. Strange. Hmm. And I, I just, yeah, I just wasn't a fan. I, um, I had, I'd never, I didn't see the, uh, the television show, uh, no, WandaVision. WandaVision. I, I didn't see WandaVision. So I was just sort of coming into the, the movie. Uh, yeah, I just wasn't, yeah. How, how Wanda sort of handles things. Uh, mm-hmm. I just uh, was not a, right. I mean, it's just, so, so it's trying to wrestle with the question of past and choices, choices we make and what does it mean to live with the choices we've made? Um, and how do you, right. So I would say theologically, right. How do you, how do you live as a creature without regret? Um, but boy, it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. I think I mentioned that in one of the very first episodes because it had just come out and I was trying to avoid spoilers, but it's been long enough. Yes. I hated what they did to Wanda's character and just made her a straight up supervillain and the motivation didn't really work. Uh, I loved WandaVision. Uh, it's, it's another series show that's really about grief and how you overcome that and I thought they put her in a really interesting you know kind of morally complex place at the end of that and then they just kind of threw all that out so they could have a bad guy um, yeah. so yeah I was, was not a fan yeah of I don't I don't know if it's just my mar if I'm running up against Marvel fatigue or what but it just, it just didn't land with me so. yeah Doctor Strange is not my favorite of the MCU um but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I don't have like a major desolation. I have been, uh, I've almost finished The Boys season three, which mm-hmm. I think one of my previous listeners mentioned is really not appropriate for anybody. And, you know, I, I'm enjoying it to an extent, but also I'm like, what is the value of this show? Like it's it's such a bleak view of, of humanity for the most part. And, you know, it's definitely interesting, but I don't know if it's making me a better person to, to consume this this content, uh, but it's definitely asking I think some interesting questions and uh, poking some fun at uh, well like the MCU, but also you know mega corporations and in America and what we would actually do with superheroes. Uh, but I don't I wouldn't necessarily say it's giving me life, uh, even yeah. if I am sort of enjoying it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks for, again for being with us, Mason. I really appreciate well, your insights in this. And uh, we'll talk to you again another time. All right. Thanks, Chris. Well, as we close the show today, I hope you have enjoyed this content. As we said in the show, it's not just producing something that you can enjoy. It's about something that will form a connection. And what better way to do that than for you to go on social media now to share this with everyone that you know to start conversations with them about how great this podcast is and how much it has changed your life. I know there's a lot of content out there and it's hard to know what is best. It's hard to discern what is good. So help your friends, help the world, help the internet, help them know what is best by giving us a review and sharing everywhere you can. Well, as always, our show is written and produced by me. Thanks again to our guest, Dr. Mason Lee. Our theme song is Be Thou My Vision from the 8-Bit Hymnal by Mr. Tyler Larson. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Pop Culture Pastor for more content. You are now dismissed. Go in peace. <laughs>